Freedom Hut. The media turns the COVID panic up even higher. The Great Barrington Declaration on why lockdowns should end is signed by a whole bunch of scientists. Trump says even more is going to be declassified around Russia collusion and a VP debate tonight that we'll bring you up to speed on. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, family, countrymen, Americans. People from all over the world, actually. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here with me. Thank you so much. It is an honor and a privilege to get a chance to speak with you all. Let's jump right into it. There was a bit of a recuperation process yesterday for the media. They had to dust themselves off a bit. They were still uh, in a state of shock after President Trump had recovered so quickly from the COVID-19 circumstance in the hospital, at least. He's not better. He's not 100% fine. But we know that there are a lot of people right now who are trying to figure out how they keep the narrative going of be terrified of covid, even though President Trump, a 74 year old man who has some additional aggravating factors, perhaps for covid, has been able to do quite well. And in a sense, he's now a big test case for a lot of people as to how much better the treatment has gotten. Uh, Everything that he has received is available to the general public. But no, it's still so important for everyone to be terrified all the time. Don't look at the numbers. Don't look at what's actually happened here. No, no, that would be uh, that would be way too rational. You are supposed to be afraid. Be very afraid is what the media is telling you. That is what they believe. And uh, and they want to make sure you believe it, too. You have no other means in this process. There's no other way for you to go. And that's why you've got people like uh, Cuomo out there saying, no, no, it, you got to be terrified all the time. Play three. And from a public service point of view, 210,000 people died. More people uh, die in this country than uh, countries around the world that were doing much uh, worse than we were. From a public service point of view, don't be afraid of COVID. No, be afraid of COVID. It can kill you. Don't be cavalier. This is just more denial. This is where it started. And, you know, the president, God bless him, he tells you where he's going. We know that when COVID started, he knew how bad it was going to be. And he just lied about it. You know, if it wasn't for that guy, the governor of New York, The U.S. overall per 100,000 death rate for covid would be better than most, if not all, large European countries. The outlier in the United States. Of all of the different places that have had major waves of covid is, in fact, New York and New Jersey. By far the worst outcome, by far the highest death toll per capita. Nowhere else really even comes close, even still with the, the waves that have hit. Over the summer and the Sun Belt and California's spikes in cases, New York was by far the worst. And he is lecturing the rest of the country, really just lecturing Trump supporters about how outrageous what the president said is. Remember, he says, don't let it dominate your life. Trump says, don't let it dominate your life. Don't 
be afraid of it all the time. And they're saying, no, let it dominate your life. That is what we have set up for you. We insist that you are you live in constant fear of this thing, that you not allow yourself a moment's reprieve from being in this state of panic. It's completely outrageous, but that is very important to them right now. It's very important to them because they understand a country that feels optimistic, a country that thinks things are actually going pretty well. You know, the economy is recovering. It's coming back. Biden will make it much worse, make it much slower. The whole thing will go in the other direction. I think we all know that. Because they never learn the lesson. They never learn any of the lessons of history about their policies. Otherwise, they couldn't support them today. What do you think Biden's going to make the economy strong? This whole build back better thing. What does Joe Biden know about making things better for the American people who actually have to go to work and run a business? Do you think the Democrats care about all the service workers who are out of a job right now? No, if anything, they want to continue as soon as they're in charge so they get the political credit for it. They want to continue with what's a de facto Universal basic income, a UBI. Send people checks every month. That's fine. You don't want to work, we'll send you a check every month. This was an idea that was talked about in the Democrat primary, most notably by Andrew Yang. He's actually one of the least annoying of the uh, Democrat candidates, so that's not saying all that much. And now they see a pathway to it. Increasing the welfare state, increasing dependency on the government, forcing people to be less autonomous, less self-sufficient. They like this. That's all to the good as far as Democrats are concerned. You know, you'll have the elites, the people that write the checks so that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer keep getting elected. They're fine. They get to work remotely. Nothing changes for them. But for people that are lower down on the economic ladder, people that are just trying to make a living, hourly workers. Guess what? Too bad if they have to shut down again for another six months under Biden administration. Uh, But don't worry, they'll send them a check. Notice how that's going to change the perception that all of us have about being dependent on government. It's not a choice. When the government says you can't open your bar, you can't operate your restaurant, it's not up to you. They're going to shut you down. In fact, we just saw last night in Brooklyn, de Blasio sending in the NYPD, the mayor of New York City, sending the NYPD to uh, break up a demonstration of Orthodox Jews who were like, we're done with all this lockdown stuff. So just harassing that community, they're outside, doesn't matter. Not allowed to do it. If there were a Black Lives Matter protest, the city would roll out the red carpet. Then it's all fine. Then then everyone can think that this is wonderful. And of course, no COVID risk. Black Lives Matter, you know, who needs social distancing when you have social justice? Wokeness is a special protection from viruses. You may have just figured this out. So this is where we are. This is the situation in which we find ourselves. It's completely uh, it's completely mind blowing that the Democrats are going to just cling to the most panic narrative possible until the election, irrespective of what it does to the country and what it means for the American people. They simply do not care. And they also don't mind how however much they have to lie to you. They will. I mean, here's Biden, who's going to have uh, his his veep would-be Veep Kamala Harris tonight spewing all kinds of nonsense on that stage, and the media is going to go overtime trying to support her. Right? Whatever they have to do, they'll do. They're in, this, you know, they're in this to win this, folks. I mean the media, not the Democrat Party. They're making sure that their preferred candidate's going to get through this. 
But Biden will say things that I mean, no, no intelligent, serious person can believe this at this point. Here he is telling you that wearing a mask is not is not political. Play five. It's estimated that nearly another 210,000 Americans could lose their lives by the end of the year. Enough. No more. Let's just set partisanship aside. Let's end the politics and follow the science. Wearing a mask, wearing a mask is not a political statement. It's a scientific recommendation. Social distancing isn't a political statement. It's a scientific recommendation. Testing, tracing, the development and all approval and distribution of a vaccine isn't a political statement. It is a science-based decision. We can't undo what has been done. We can't go back. We can do so much better. We can do better starting today. We can have a national strategy that puts politics aside and saves lives. We can have a national strategy that will make it possible for our schools and businesses to open safely. We can have a national strategy that reflects the true values of this nation. I mean, I, I just this guy is full of so much bull. It's amazing that he's actually even in contention to be the president. Never mind ahead in a lot of the national polls you're seeing, which I don't particularly believe, but that's where it is right now. He's the one that wants the lockdowns. Remember that. He's the one that wants the lockdowns, but he says we're going to find a way to open up. No, the Democrats are the ones saying lock it down. They can't have it both ways. They're the ones that have been pushing for schools to be locked down going into the election, which was a completely unjustified decision from a purely scientific standpoint. Outrageous. But they don't care. They don't care about all the suffering from all these people. They're just using the death toll of COVID for political purposes right now. Nobody wanted any of those people to die. It's been horrible. But we've been doing all the things that Biden says he's going to do. He speaks about this like it's some revolutionary new plan they've got. Oh, we're going to social distance and mask. We've been doing this crap for now, what, seven, eight months? How much longer are we supposed to do this? It hasn't worked. If you look at the data, it shows that there are places where after mask mandates went into effect as a matter of law, things got even worse. So what what is he even saying? Oh, we could be better. Trump didn't do a good enough job. He didn't protect you from this virus. Take a look at what's going on in Argentina right now, which has one of the highest covid positivity rates in the entire world for all the tests that it's for the tests that it's running. It's not testing as much as other places are, but got over 20,000 deaths. Argentina has a much smaller population than a lot of these countries we're talking about. 20,000 deaths from COVID-19. And those, I'm, I'm assuming, are actually directly from COVID as opposed to the with COVID deaths that absolutely have been calculated in this country. So we have an inflated COVID death figure. Look, I'm not saying it's I have no idea, by the way, how inflated it is. We do know that there are at least thousands, if not tens of thousands of cases of people based on the way that they're tabulating these things that should not be considered COVID death. But look, if it's 50,000 people dying from COVID, 100,000 people dying from COVID, it's horrible. And that's clearly the case. We've lost a lot of people to this virus. There's no question. But ultimately, it's about the country having an adult conversation with itself. All of us talking to each other saying, look, we, we're doing what we can, but this virus is spreading and has been spreading. And all the people who have been saying, just do this, just do that, It'll stop it. It'll fix it. We're wrong. They've just been wrong. It hasn't worked. You think if Joe Biden's in charge all of a sudden, there's going to no. there's just going to be more mask shaming. 
More people who are outside going for a bike ride who are told, where's your mask? More people who are walking alone on a nature hike. This actually happened to a friend of mine and somebody passed from 20 feet away out in the woods. Where's your mask? Oh, it's not political. Well, then are, are people either have politicized this or they're too stupid to have a conversation about what's actually a safety measure versus what is just a waste of everybody's time. And it's and it's annoying. It's harassment. I know. Look, I'm, I'm not giving up on this one because I think a lot of our a lot of people on our side were just going along. Oh, let's show some good faith. We don't want I don't want to have this fight right now. Come on. I don't want to be wearing a mask. It's it's annoying, but I'll go along with it. And look, I've been beaten down by it, too. You want to be the one person in New York City? I mean, it's basically like walking around with a MAGA hat on now. If you wear if you don't wear a mask outside, that's how people view it in this city. And I'm sure that's true in other places as well, which, of course, is insane. But whether they wanted it to become one or not, and I think they did, it is a political statement. So why lie about it? Why is Joe Biden and all these other Democrat politicians, why do they have masks on their avatars on Twitter? Why are their social media accounts all changed out so their their official photo has a mask on? Oh, because that's really that's inspiring people to mask up. I don't give a crap what these politicians do with their with their own you know, me- medical decisions and safety. That's up to them. Not going to say, oh, well, if Joe Biden's wearing a mask, I better wear one, too. But it's all symbolic, friends. It's symbolic of control. They're trying to see how much they can make you do and what they can get away with. And unfortunately, they've gotten away with far too much. Unfortunately, we're at a point now where we're just negotiating over how deep the tyranny will run instead of whether we're actually going to get our freedom back. I'm hoping this will start to change. I'll tell you in just a little bit about Thousands of scientists, doctors, researchers who are saying these lockdowns are horrible. It is not scientific. It needs to stop. The Great Barrington Declaration. Why? Why aren't you hearing about this in other places? Why isn't this the number one story on every conservative site in the country? I I can't tell you. No, let's have a bunch of people do the same five things to look for in tonight's vice presidential debate. This is what everyone does. Okay, You know, I got it. We got to cover our bases and there's a vice presidential debate tonight. But this declaration out of Great Barrington, Massachusetts, is honestly, it should be the end of all of this stuff that we're seeing with the lockdowns. It should be all over, done, tomorrow, finished. And these are scientists. That's what they're saying. But nope, not going to happen. People don't want to admit that they're wrong and they don't want to give up control. And they're pretending that this is about keeping you safe. Here's here's the truth. They can't keep you safe and they don't care. And that's why when Trump says, don't let this dominate your life, don't be afraid all the time, it enrages them so much because that's what they want. And they've gotten used to it. And now just Trump saying that takes away some of the power that they've accumulated. And so they react with rage at this, particularly the journos who I don't know who the worst people are in America, journalists or mask shamers, although there's obviously a lot of crossover there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And I, you know, I hate saying this stuff. It's 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 tough to believe and, you know, didn't need to be this way. Uh, something that we talk about all the time. But yes, I mean, 410,000 was the projection for my HME. While at the same time, they, you know, the projection jumps around, but they say 100,000 of those lives could be saved if, if we had 95% mask wearing. So it's 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 hard to hear, but but it, it sort of tracks with with everything else we've been hearing. We're just back into the same loop we were before. 
The models say this, and if you do what I say, the models say that, so you have to do Remember, they're not, they're not recommending, they're mandating. The Biden campaign, they want to make you do these things. They're going to fine you. They're going to lock you up if you don't do these things. Dr. Fauci uh, said, who I, I really think is the worst. I mean, this guy is like a, a Democrat operative who has gotten away with more manipulation of public perception than anybody in recent memory. It's horrible. What has he ever said that you're like, wow, that's really helpful. That's really good. Yeah. Does he calm you down? Does he make you feel like the country's going to get through this? No, he shows up and goes, well, you know, I think maybe another 400,000, maybe another 2 million, maybe at the max, maybe 5 million. I don't know. We're all going to die. This is our top public health official that we're supposed to be listening to all the time. What? A disaster. An absolute disaster. This guy is the Comey of the health world. He says the models tell us, quote, if we do not do the kind of things we're talking about in the cold of the fall and the winter, we could have 300 to 400,000 deaths. That would just be so tragic. So it's on us, you see. Do everything they say or else hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Let me tell you something right now. No matter what happens here, there are going to be people who die and they're going to say the reason they died is because we didn't listen enough. We weren't well-behaved enough. We weren't good, good enough children when St. Fauci was trying to give us his blessing. Is this the country you want? I don't want to live in this country where that's happening, where people are all of a sudden bowing and scraping and begging for the approval of bureaucrats who have earned nothing other than the right to be in a government position for a long time. I'm not impressed by that. I used to work for the federal government full of clowns and morons. Not everybody, but a lot of them. Three or four hundred thousand people. It's not even clear if he means three hundred three to four hundred thousand more will die or we'll get to another hundred to two hundred thousand on top of this. Why has not New York already seen the huge spike in cases? It's in a few communities. Why does he have an answer for this? No, he's no idea. You'll notice they don't even try to tell you what's going to happen next week or next month or they're just it's always a three month projection as to what's going to happen. Listen to us or else. Well, there's another point of view on this, folks, one from a whole lot of doctors that I want to tell you about right now. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Great Barrington Declaration. This should be for conservative outlets, uh, for, for news outlets across the country. This should be a top news story, and they're not telling you about this. Wall Street Journal had a piece in it today. I mean, it's, it's starting to get out there. But why isn't everyone pointing to this? We're always told, listen to the scientists. That's what they say. All the scientists believe and then they fill in something. All the doctors tell you and then they say their preferred, you know, mask mania, lockdown talking points. Well, this is a declaration that you need to hear. And it is as of this show have been signed by 3,298 medical and public health scientists and over 5,000 MDs, doctors. Not like Jill Biden doctors. I mean, real doctors. She's a PhD in bureaucracy. Uh, real doctors. So that's, that's, and these are people that when you hear their credentials, I'll get to, you'll say, are they crazy? Did Trump brainwash them? Did, did they not understand something about wear a mask? This is what they write. The Great Barrington Declaration. As infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies. 
and recommend an approach we call focused protection. Coming from both the left and the right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long term public health. The results, to name a few, include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings and deteriorating mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden. Keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. Keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousandfold higher in the old and infirm than the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including influenza. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity, the point at which the rate of new infections is stable and that this can be assisted but is not dependent upon a vaccine. Our goal should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. The most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while better protecting those who are at highest risk. We call this focused protection. Adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. By way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent PCR testing of other staff and all visitors. Staff rotation should be minimized. Retired people living at home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to their home. When possible, they should meet family members outside rather than inside. A comprehensive and detailed list of measures, including approaches to multi-generational households, can be implemented and is well within the scope and capability of public health professionals. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. And arts, music, sports, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. Now, you might be saying, uh, okay, hold on a second. Why, why haven't I heard about this? Why haven't more people been told about this? Uh, this was just signed on October 4th. It's October 7th. But, oh, you know, it must be because these are, you know what you always hear when people oppose the lockdown stuff? These are quacks. That's what they'll say. These are quacks, they'll tell you. Um, they, they, don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what's going on in society, and they're just full of it, right? Okay, well, um, here are some of the people that are a part of this. Here are some of the people that have signed their names to it already. Dr. Martin Koldorf, professor of medicine at Harvard University, a biostatistician 
an epidemiologist with expertise in detecting and monitoring of infectious disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. Dr. Sunetra Gupta, professor at Oxford University and epidemiologist with expertise in immunology. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor at Stanford University Medical School, a physician, epidemiologist, health economist. Dr. Sucharit Bhakti, professor of medical microbiology, University of Mainz, Germany. Dr. Rajiv Bhatia, physician with the uh, Veterans Administration, epidemiology. Professor Stephen Bremner, professor of medical statistics, Brighton and Sussex Medical School, UK. Go on, it goes on and on and on. I mean, more. Uh, you've got you know Massachusetts General Hospital on here. Department of Clinical Microbiology, Tel Aviv University, Israel. Professor of, math- math- uh, of mathematics, focusing on population and evolutionary theory and infectious disease epidemiology in Glasgow. It just goes on and on and on. Top institutions in the world have some of their top people that are saying, stop this lockdown crap now. It's not working. It's damaging. It's wrong. Focused protection. Protect those at risk. Everyone else go back to normal life. Acceptable risk for them. Some of us have been saying to do this for six months just because you're rational, have good judgment and wisdom, understand what the heck's actually going on. Does anyone really believe that we're going to be uh, we're going to have a 95 percent compliance rate for social distancing and mask wearing? That's insane. And it, think of the costs of this, too. It's outrageous. Focus protection is the answer. And the Trump administration should be all over this. I, I don't know what to say other than we've got to tell people we've got to spread the word. This is what the scientists are saying. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It's remarkable, you know, among the dumbest people in society now think that they have the most insight into the health of the president, that he uh, is lying to us. His doctors must be lying to us. All of the above. Here's here's AOC trying to give everybody a bit of her medical advice when it comes or, or her medical assessment, I should say, when it comes to the president of the United States. Play 16. The president is not in a good condition. He just was diagnosed with covid. His his oxygen levels were in perilously low areas over the weekend that were extremely concerning. And then we're supposed to believe that everything is absolutely fine right now when we were receiving conflicting medical reports from both the White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and uh, and some of the physicians that we were hearing at Walter Reed. Now, I don't think that we should be making any large political decisions when the president is such it was is in such a perilous uh, in such a perilous medical state. He is still receiving um, interventions and treatments, and we're and we're in the middle of uh, talking about and, and making dramatic decisions. Yeah, so he's just like not really even the president right now. He's just like not even the president. Like it's just like whatever. Like twenty fifth you know, constitutional convention or something or whatever. Like, yeah, this is the the leading light of the young Democrat left, folks. The best is the best they've got. Like, I don't want to be mean, but she wants to do things that will kind of ruin your life. So I think we have to be honest about this. And I wonder if they ever get tired of just being wrong all the time. But they don't. Ask yourself this. Do they ever get tired of saying things that in retrospect, and I mean retrospect like as of yesterday, are foolish? 
that they figure out in a 24 hour period. Oh, yeah. What I said about the president was nonsense. All weekend we were hearing, oh, his oxygen levels dropped. He's very ill. Everyone's very concerned. They ran with that. The panic narrative turned out not to be true. So now we get to a place where they're just coming up with crazy ideas about why he's not really able to make decisions. You know, the guy's taking, you know, dexamethasone, which is an, a steroid you could in, you, you inhale. And I think it's an I think you inhale it. And uh, remdesivir. Which is an antiviral drug. It's kind of like Tamiflu, but you have to take it through uh, intravenous. But, you know, Tamiflu is something you take to deal with uh, to deal with the flu. You have to take in the early stages of it. So what exactly is she saying? Nothing. Garbage. Nonsense. You don't have to really worry about it. You don't have to think about it. But the point is, they'll undermine the president and his ability to be the president in any way they can. And even if tomorrow it sounds what they say today sounds stupid, as long as it has the intended effect for a little while, they're fine with it. As long as it's able to serve the purpose of one news cycle. Great. Doesn't matter. And then there's Shifty Schiff, who is among the scummiest of all fellows in Congress, which is truly saying something. I mean, this guy is a liar, a shameless liar, almost in a category of his own. I mean, there are many in Congress, many Democrats who will just lie to your face and don't care. But Adam Schiff, when you add Russia collusion to all the other stuff that he's pulled off. Remember when he was doing his whole you know, prosecutor routine for Pelosi and that that House impeachment? What a sham that whole thing was. He really you know, does have the, the cold, dead eyes of a bottom-dwelling shark. You know, that's really what you get from Adam Schiff. And yet, voters in California like this guy. They think, they think that he's, uh, he's just great. Here's what, here's what he says. He's also trying to make the case that, you know, the president, he's not of sound mind right now. Their candidate is Joe Biden, who goes, you know, and it's nap time for him. Got to call a lid for the day. But they want to talk about Trump not being of sound mind. That's how Schiff rolls. Play 10. On the best of days, the president's thinking isn't too sound. Uh, so if there's any impairment, uh, it's a real problem. Uh, to me, this harkens back to the president to proudly boasting that he's going to take responsibility for shutting down the government. Uh, well, he's now proudly uh, taking responsibility for denying the American people help in their time of crisis. Basically, today, Donald Trump told the country, if you're a small business person and you're going under too bad for you, I'm not going to bother with it until after the election. If you've lost your job and you're on unemployment compensation, your benefits have run out. That's too bad. That doesn't affect me. Uh, I don't care. Uh, I'll deal with that later. Uh, you know, th this is uh, so irresponsible when millions are suffering. Uh, and of course, politically, it makes no sense for him to do either. So it does call into question uh, his judgment, certainly, but uh, whether he's being impaired by these drugs. This is slimy, shifty shift saying it must be the meds. He's making such crazy decisions. It must be the meds. <laughs> what what a scummy, scummy fellow the shifty shift is. But that's what he that's what he's telling you. And, and there's a couple of layers here. One, there is no reason to believe that anything. I mean, the president is not on heavy doses of morphine. There's nothing to make anyone believe that he can't make decisions or isn't of sound mind right now. We've seen him. He's been showing up. He's been talking. He's been doing. He's much more lucid than Biden is. Mr. Calling it a lid at 930 in the morning every day. <laughs> I want that. I want the Biden, the Biden campaign. Most people call it a vacation. When you wake up, do something for like 30 minutes, then you're like, I'm done.
But no, with Trump, it has to all be different. They will say anything. And then on on this uh, aid package, because this is uh, getting a lot of attention. The last 24 hours, the president said he would not sign what Pelosi and her crew of little socialists wanted. Two point four trillion dollars, two point four trillion dollars of that's not spending for like the whole budget for next year. That's just for now, just to keep things afloat. And Trump said, no, we'll give you one point eight trillion. We will give money for people out of work and support to businesses that are covid related. We're not going to just plug the holes of Democrat run cities. This is where the real the real conflict is on this, the real uh, friction. Democrat run cities. We're not going to just bail them out with taxpayer dollars at the federal level. Sorry. Well, Pelosi and the rest, they're they're combining things that are not related. They love to do this. Pelosi keeps doing this. Now, I'm going to say Trump has not done a good enough job of explaining this to the American people. A lot of you are going to say, Buck, he's playing 5D chess or whatever. No, no, I'm not talking about to Trump voters. Okay, he needs to be explaining this to people who aren't yet sold on Trump. That's what this is all about. It should be absolutely clear. It should be blaringly obvious that Nancy Pelosi, once again, she's done this now three different cycles of the Pelosi games. You know, Marie, Marie Antoinette style, let them eat cake while Pelosi's in her mansion, doesn't care about what's happening to any of these workers, but then goes on to MSNBC and CNN and pretends Trump should be clobbering the Democrats on this. He's saying, look, I want it. They wanted to get money to people that are out of work and extend the unemployment benefits in August. We're in October. Democrats have been delaying because they insist on bringing these things, using these things together. And that's not the way this should be done. Right. They're they're padding this. They're throwing in their little wish list on top of the actual money that would go to people, the stimulus payments that would go to people uh, so that they can keep paying their bills while they're on lockdown. (sighs) Trump has not made a good a good enough uh, pitch on this one yet. And I'm sorry, we don't do the president any favors. And I know people from the White House listen to this show. Uh, We don't do the president any favors by encouraging a losing strategy on this one. He should have owned the news cycle in this for the last 24 hours, making sure everybody knows. He says he will sign right now $1.8 trillion given to people for their paycheck protection, given to people who are unable to open their businesses because of these lockdowns. Get that money to the economy. Get it to the American worker right away. It's just malpractice not to be winning this argument right now. I'm like, I know the president's sick. I know he's dealing with a lot. But folks, we are now in the sprint phase of this contest we are in the all out and we're about to add the acb nomination next week onto this pile so it's it's go big or go home time for trump for the republicans this is the whole thing this is the big show right now we've got less than four weeks to go here i'm gonna strap in shields high Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the scientists and obey the law. Two things that you've been told a lot since the COVID pandemic hit by libs who want you to do something. They pick the scientists you're supposed to listen to. It's always Fauci. Hey, it is what the Fauci says. Listen to me, we're all going to die. The truth is, we are we are all, in fact, going to die. Some people don't really accept and understand that, I think, which is why they make the public policy decisions they do. But we're all on borrowed time. We're just not all going to die of covid. Less than one percent of us actually are even at any risk of dying from covid. But nonetheless, 
We are uh, in the process of ruining the economy and, and ruining large American cities because of all the fear and panic that the Democrats continue to spread. And they say that the law is the law and they've taken emergency powers into their hands, which is really an abuse of the law. Right. This is essentially the break the glass. OK, doesn't matter what we were saying before. We just got to get everybody out of the building because it's on fire, except they've been doing that since March. So we've been in this emergency state in, in different uh, places across the country for many, many months, which is, you know, this is a little bit like, oh, everybody, you got to empty out of this area. There's a hurricane coming. And then it's like, well, we're going to declare martial law just for a week. Actually, it's going to be until we say it stops. That's what's going on. They just keep extending it. And the greatest example of this, I think you can point to, although Cuomo is probably number one and then Newsom. Number three is Michigan. Governor Whitmer, who at one point was being talked about by the uh, Democrat media as a possible late stage presidential, you know, who knows, maybe she'll be the VP, right? That was what was being discussed for a while. Uh, they say they say the law is the law, right? So Cuomo, for example, says you have to wear a mask. I don't even know in public now, which does that even mean outside? It's not clear to me, but I think it means yes, but I, I don't. And I've already said, I mean, I'm a team. I might get arrested over this at some point. I'm not going to be obviously rude to the NYPD. It's not their fault that they're enforcing this stuff, but I'm not wearing a mask walking outside by myself. There are lines. I am drawing a line. Uh, and, you know, this is this is where you start to say, well, nullification of the law is the next step here. But we're not supposed to have one person who's making decisions about everything, whether it's your ability to leave your house, your First Amendment rights, your freedom of worship, your freedom of, of, uh, of speech based upon what they claim are the most important health determinations for us. But that's what's happening. And then they say, well, it's the law. You've got to obey the law. The law is the law. And as we all know from the history of this country, there there are laws that are unjust. That does happen. And laws have to change sometimes just because something is the law doesn't mean that it's right. And now you get into some deeper philosophical discussions. But Governor Whitmer, who has been saying you have to do this because I say so and therefore it is the law, has had to figure out, oh, wait a second. Turns out the court, the Supreme Court for the state of Michigan, has said no. In fact, what she is doing is wrong. Play clip one. This is how she responds. As a result of this action, of the court's action, the legislature's action, our COVID-19 cases could likely go up. There will be uncertainty. There will be disruption and possibly greater risk to our economy, to our loved ones, possibly more people quarantined and more fatalities. We've seen that happen elsewhere. What this ruling does not mean is that the orders I issued violated the law. Although I disagree with the court's conclusion, they held the law, the 1945 law, unconstitutional, meaning that that legislature 75 years ago didn't have the authority to extend these types of powers to a governor. The court made it clear that I had interpreted this law correctly and utilized my powers. Yeah, so she liked being a little dictator and she found a statute that allowed her to be a dictator because she doesn't care about the freedom she's infringing upon. But the court came along and said, well, even if that is, in fact, the law, guess what? It's still wrong. And that's where we are. We need to start embracing that idea much more broadly here, because all you have from these Democrat governors is I make the law. I am the law. Well, sorry, actually, the Constitution is the law. The amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that's also the law. Some little pissant state official doesn't get to decide that the Constitution doesn't count because in the case of Cuomo, 
He's desperate to cover up grotesque ineptitude that caused a lot of people to die who would not have died otherwise. So now we're starting. We're finally seeing the pushback. It happened in Pennsylvania where a judge said this is unconstitutional. These lockdowns that you have uh, in place here. What was it? Governor Wolf there. Right. And uh, it's happened now in Michigan. It's taken a while. The courts don't work very quickly all the time, unless it's a Trump thing. And then the Ninth Circuit, it's like the Ninth Circuit just stays up late at night waiting for some Trump executive order that they can strike down only to have the Supreme Court say Trump's allowed to do that. What are you lunatics doing? Uh, They don't mind because they're they're hashtag resistance. It's not about the law. It's about being hashtag resistance. So that's what they do. And Widmer in in the, the kind of sanctimony that you continue to see from Democrats who I keep telling you, be prepared for this. They will never admit that they're wrong. They'll never admit that what they've done is unconstitutional, is uh, was counterproductive and incredibly destructive. They'll never admit it doesn't matter what the data says, doesn't matter if we find out, you know, in six months. No, they don't care. So this is, oh, yeah, Governor Whitmer. Oh, she, oh, gosh, yeah, she's just like, I'm never, I'm going to keep you healthy. Oh, sure, play two. So while the Supreme Court has spoken, and while I vehemently disagree with the conclusion, now is the time for the Republicans in the legislature to come back to town and start showing that they take this crisis seriously, too. I'm ready to work with the legislature, but I'm never going to negotiate when it comes to doing the right thing and protecting the people's health. This is a deadly virus that still poses a very real threat. It still preys on our most vulnerable populations. And as your governor, I will continue to use every tool at my disposal to combat COVID-19. Oh, yeah, she's going to combat COVID-19. Sure she is. Oh, gosh. You know, she was the one that said that you couldn't go from one house you owned to another house you owned. That was not allowed. That was a that was a Whitmer rule during this whole thing. Nope, not allowed. Sorry. Oh, oh, really? And then her husband, remember this? Her husband was the one that was trying to pressure an official to let uh, let her um, let him take their family boat out sooner than everybody else could. Like, don't you know who my wife is kind of a thing? Wasn't that Whitmer, if I recall? I think it was. So, yeah, more hypocrisy, more stupidity, but always going to take the position that they're doing. They're doing what's right. They're doing what is keeping us all safe. Speaking of keeping us safe, we'll be talking more about the debate later. Biden's trying to back out. Why would he want to back out if he did such a good job and they thought their internal polling for the Biden campaign looked so strong after this? Why wouldn't Joe Biden uh, immediately want to jump into round two and, and get even more voters to get fired up about him, right? No, instead, what we have is Biden using Trump's COVID as an excuse. Play six. I think they, what they're doing at the Harris debate is I'm told, I don't know this for a fact, they're using plexiglass and they're following what the Cleveland Clinic says, people having to be tested. Like I was tested today again, it's negative. I don't know what uh, exactly what the rules are going to be. And I'm not sure that uh, what President Trump is all about now. I don't know what his status is. I'm looking forward to being able to debate him. But I just hope all the protocols are followed, which necessary at the time. I think if he still has COVID, we shouldn't have a debate. Uh, Why? Can't they uh, social distance enough and wear, you know, make separate them by 40 feet on stage and have them wear a mask? Right. Shouldn't is shouldn't that be sufficient? We're always told that's all, all you have to do. 
And it's really six feet, they tell you. Wear a mask six feet, right? Wouldn't that be enough? Now, will they wear a mask during the debate? Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? But then have a virtual debate. That's another way you could do this. But we should hear from the president again, because here's what needs to happen for sure. Trump has to force Biden to evade on packing the Supreme Court statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico. And how about some immigration discussion, too? I understand immigration has completely fallen off the policy radar for most folks right now because there's no travel between countries, really very little, if any. Uh, So we don't think about it. But that doesn't mean that it's not still a massive issue. And the moment that we go back to any kind of normal world, there's not going to be the issue of amnesty, which is that if Biden and the Democrats push that through, it's all over, folks. The The Republican Party is finished. So that's all they really have to accomplish. Then every you lose. If you lose on amnesty, you'll lose on every other issue after it. It won't matter. It won't make a difference. Um, But that's why the president does need to have an opportunity, I think, to push Biden on these issues. And we'll have to see if if he even gets that chance. He's going to be healthy enough for the debate. The issue is whether or not Biden just decides this is all their whole campaign is. Don't give it Biden Harris. Don't give any real answers on questions. Stick to the talking points. Trump is Hitler. They would save everybody from the virus. And, you know, there were no riots this summer. Vote for us. That's basically their campaign pitch. And the media lets them get away with it. It's appalling, but they do. You would think that journalists, just to get more viewers and to build a little credibility for their make-believe, oh, we're just the real journos out there. You'd think that they would spend some time, but no, no, they don't care. They don't care. They're activists, folks. They want an outcome here, and the outcome is Biden and Harris winning. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let's take a look at our justice system right now, friends. Some important updates for you. Of course, you've maybe seen at this point that the president has said that he's going to declassify everything around the whole Russia collusion uh, debacle. The, The fraud, the hoax that was perpetrated against the Trump administration and seems increasingly absolutely certain. We've always thought this was the case, but now we have proof. Right? It's one thing to know or, or, or to believe based on the available evidence that something has happened. It's another thing to know beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think we're at the place with uh, Russia collusion where we are beyond a reasonable doubt that the Clinton campaign was not only behind this, but actively fabricating, right, actively pushing a narrative that it knew wasn't true and that they knew they could co-opt the FBI and the, and the media to go along with it. I mean, this is this is a, a crazy story. When you think about it. It's campaign oppo that's then treated seriously by the security services. So it's just it's just a total smear job. It's just a, a rumor, this Russia collusion stuff. But we'll, I'll, I'll get into in a second what I think is going to happen here with further declassifications. I got something else for you, though. This just filed uh, today in the early afternoon in federal court in D.C. that the General Flynn case, which is still going on. People are still waiting around to find out whether Judge Emmett Sullivan, who hates General Flynn, that's been made very clear, call them a traitor in court for no good reason whatsoever, uh, that this federal judge has decided, even though the DOJ has told him this case never should have been brought, 
We are pulling all charges from our end. His response has been, I'm just going to keep this going. I'm going to effectively have a one person prosecution of the Trump. I'm sorry, of uh, the General Flynn case or or bring in, I should say, two person. He's brought in this Judge Gleason to be effectively a shadow uh, prosecutor, a guy who isn't really not part of the DOJ, isn't a prosecutor, but he's making the case as an amicus for the judge. The whole thing is nuts. It's making a mockery of the justice system. It's disgusting. But it just goes to show Trump derangement syndrome is so powerful that federal judges will uh, ruin any credibility they have and really destroy their careers. I mean, they don't see it that way yet. But in in the long run, I think it'll be obvious what's going on here uh, because they hate anyone associated even with Trump. Well, just today, Flynn's team has filed a a motion to uh, disqualify Judge Sullivan for false and defamatory comments that they claim, quote, echoed those of Rachel Maddow. He appointed a conflicted amicus. He has become shrill and prejudicial. The whole thing. I mean, here's here's from the actual um, the actual filing today. Again, this is all trying to get justice for General Flynn. This was the incoming national security advisor of the Trump administration. This guy is still being ground down by the federal uh, criminal justice system. He didn't even do anything. The whole thing is nuts. In this in this filing, they write, nonetheless, in a remarkable reflection of its bias, the court announced early in the proceedings that General Flynn had refused to cooperate in the Eastern District of Virginia far a related case against Flynn's former business partner after the court postponed his sentencing. That was false. So the court said things that were not true. Moreover, uh, sorry, here we go. As the court knows, General Flynn filed a petition for writ of mandamus, which just means shut the whole thing down. Because inter alia, the court exceeded the bounds of Article 3 and intruded into the core functions of the executive branch under Article 2 when it appointed Mr. Gleason. Moreover, Mr. Gleason and his partner, David O'Neill of uh, Debevoise and Plimpton, had a conflict of interest that should have foreclosed their participation in the case in any way, even if appointment on an amicus in a criminal, a criminal case to pile on against a defendant were itself lawful. Mr. O'Neill represented none other than Sally Yates, the deputy attorney general who oversaw the corrupt investigation and January 24, 2017 in- interview of General Flynn. Folks. There's all kinds of conflicts of interest here, all kinds of injustices that are going on, and they just don't care. This is like Sally Yates's buddy involved here, and somehow no one recuses themselves, no one steps aside and is considered to be tainted when it comes to this judicial proceeding. It's, it's horrible. Uh, what they're doing to General Flynn is, I don't know how else to describe it other than Kafkaesque. It, it reminds me of reading about going through the system in Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, where Solzhenitsyn says that part of the problem you would deal with there, they would arrest you for no reason, right? The reason was just to process people and ruin them and crush them to show the power of the Soviet Union. That, they were just, that was the machinery, the machinery of destruction. And as you were moving through it, the bureaucrats who were supposed to get confessions from you, they were just annoyed because it wasn't about whether you did it or not. It was Okay, you're next. You're the next target for destruction. And if you didn't give them what they wanted, then they would punish you for annoying them because you weren't confessing. So, you know, you're 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 screwed no matter what. 
That's what Flynn is going through right now. That is the circumstances in which we find in, in which a former three star or yeah, retired now three star general uh, who is accused of a felony for really the, the, the question all hinges on that ambush interview that we know is a setup to take down someone in Trump's orbit. This was all orchestrated. This was blocking the peaceful transfer of power of an incoming administration. And the Flynn team is saying, look, the bias is everywhere. This guy can't get a fair trial. The DOJ has already said, I mean, usually if the Department of Justice says we're not bringing any more charges, you get to breathe a huge sigh of relief. Go out, celebrate because you're good. You're not in jeopardy anymore. Not now. Not if you're General Flynn. All of this is is so disheartening because it makes us all realize that you can't trust our own justice system. The Democrats have successfully managed to corrupt the federal criminal justice system in this country for political reasons. And it's very hard to undo that. It's very hard to change that because whatever we do to try to address it, they'll say is political on our end. But. They've been weaponizing prosecutors offices for a long time for political ends. And this is just another example of that. I don't I don't think that this will manage to get that writ of mandamus legal term for the trial is over. Shut the whole thing down. I don't think that they're going to they're going to get that. And I don't think the judge Flynn, uh, Judge uh, Sullivan will be disqualified, even though he should. And they're just going to keep dragging this thing out. They're going to keep making Flynn wait, pay lawyers, wait, pay lawyers for a case that the prosecutorial arm of the government has said, this was bad, we're done here. Oh, no, now a judge just decides that you're like his plaything and he's going to torture you for fun. That's what they're doing to General Flynn. It's a disgrace. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, team, back in action with us now is the one and only Dinesh D'Souza. He's best-selling author, commentator. I'm sure you know him from his many books, but his movie, because he's also a filmmaker, The Trump Card is out this Friday. You can watch it at home on demand, so it couldn't be any easier. I'm going to be watching it this weekend. Check it out yourself, trumpcardthemovie.com. Dinesh, so good to have you back. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Great to be back. So we have a vice presidential debate going on tonight. Are, are you... Are you hopeful that this is going to be meaningful in any way, Dinesh? Uh, what, what is, what's your mindset going into this? I mean, I'm assuming you're probably going to watch, but what do you think? No, I'll watch for sure. You know, I'm always a little bit nervous when you have a sort of white bread Republican going up against uh, somebody who we know is going to play both the race card and the gender card. So Kamala Harris's best credentials for being vice president is she's or the vice presidential nominee. She's a woman of color. And so she's going to go, I think, hard against Mike Pence. And the typical Republican has never known how to handle this. Uh, Trump is about the only guy who takes it in stride. So I'm a little nervous that Pence, you know, we don't want him to go into the fetal position. We don't want him to go under the desk. We want him in his calm, methodical way to to strike back and to strike back effectively in the Trumpian mode, although obviously using Pence's kind of clinical style. So I'm very interested to see how he handles Kamala Harris. It could be he could he could have a big win. But to do that, he has to be a little bit fearless. If you were advising uh, the vice president on what he should focus on, either areas where he should attack the Biden Harris message uh, or or just places where you think that he should really hammer home the most positive aspects of what Trump uh, Trump has done that would really resonate right now. 
Where, where would you tell them to go? Well, I think in terms of the general argument, um, it could be that Pence is even better than Trump in just laying out the counter narrative because Trump doesn't really do narrative. Trump is really good at the zinger. Trump has a, a sort of uh, a fearlessness that is unmatched in the Republican Party. But what Pence can do is tell a story. So, for example, uh, Trump said to Biden in the debate, you know, isn't it true that your son Hunter Biden uh, got $3.5 million from a Russian oligarch? But what Pence can do is give the backstory, which is that the Biden family has been running this family racket now for a while. He's always takes a family member when he goes on foreign trips. While Biden is having official meetings, the family member is cutting side deals with government officials from foreign countries, resulting in large transfers of cash into the Biden coffers. So this is a systematic racket, similar to the Clinton racket, although they use the Clinton Foundation. Biden kind of uses his extended family. Um, so Pence can lay all this out. What I'm worried about is if Kamala Harris goes full racial on Pence, I would have I would advise Pence to say, hey, listen, Kamala, this is really strange because you are descended from the largest slave owner in Jamaica, a guy who owned five plantations and over 200 slaves. So you're actually descended from the slave owner side. You really can't claim victim status. Isn't it true that all the privileges you've enjoyed in life, private schools, expensive colleges, all the benefits, access to political power, isn't that all due to your slave owner privilege? If I think this is the way to fight with these people, it'll shut them up right away. But if you don't go there, if you if like McCain, you keep all the stuff off the table, then I think it's going to be a long night. We're speaking to Dinesh D'Souza, author and uh, filmmaker. His movie, The Trump Card, out this Friday. TrumpCardTheMovie.com to go check it out on demand. You watch it right at home. I'm going to do it this weekend. You all should, too. Dinesh, the Trump return to the White House from Walter Reed I think it was in real time the biggest meltdown that I've seen the media have. Pro maybe. Well, there was the RBG passing. But then before that, it might be the election itself. I mean, I, I saw people talking about how he looked like Mussolini. He should be major media figures. He should be charged with manslaughter. And, and there was a really clear point that was made because Trump said, don't live in fear and let this dominate your life. Isn't isn't it clear to any American now who's paying attention that the Democrat Party, the media response to this is, no, you have to let it dominate your life. In fact, you have to let us dominate your life by doing exactly what we tell you to do. For sure. Look, these uh, first of all, the position that we have to live with coronavirus, this was going to be the Democratic position on November 4th if they win the election. So we know that that means that their current position is a fake. Uh, they're just putting it on uh, and they're putting it on for a political purpose. Uh, now, with Trump, they were dying. They so much wanted to see him on a stretcher. They wanted to see him getting oxygen. They wanted him on a ventilator. They wanted him to look weak. They were hoping that, like Boris Johnson in England, he would go into the ICU. You know, the guy's in his 70s. He's supposedly in a vulnerable group. But unbelievably, 48 hours later, he basically comes cartwheeling out of the hospital room. You know, he's taking a ride around the town. And he says nothing more than what FDR said in the Depression. We have nothing to fear so much as fear itself. That is Trump's message. Whereas the Democratic message, a complete loser, be afraid, be very afraid. What do you think honestly happens after November 3rd, if Biden ha ends up winning this thing, what what do the next six months for America look like? So it's customary for people to say this is the most consequential election. But we've heard that before. Here's how I, I see it. If Trump loses and Biden wins, 
there will be a systematic coordinated campaign to eradicate not just Trump, but what you can call Trumpism from American public life. And that means going after all those of us who have been seen as sympathetic to Trump, um, trying to discredit us, trying to make it look like we were some temporary ugly stain on the American landscape that should never be allowed to happen again. Now, if Trump wins, on the other hand, he has the chance to do what Reagan did in the second term, consolidate the gains of the first term. I mean, he's had three Supreme Court nominations in the first term. You could have one or two more. He could make the court single-handedly by himself. So Trump can have an impact not just on public policy, not just on the court, but I think even on the culture. America was a different place after two terms of Reagan than it had been before. And I would say the Reagan revolution didn't end until 2008. So it was a 25-year phenomenon. And Trump can, who is, Trump is clearly a consequential president like Reagan, and he could have some of that same enduring impact. What do you think it's going to take for the American people to finally say, or enough, I should say, in the American people? Because I, I do believe that in places like you know, Los Angeles and New York City, there are folks who, if they were told, you got a shelter in place, we need at least two or three more years before we really test out. the. They would do it. I mean, I live next to them. I know there are people in my building, Dinesh, who wear there's a there's a couple that wears a full head to toe hazmat suit every time they go outside. I've seen them. I don't want to be mean, so I don't take photos, but it's crazy. Uh, what is it going to take for enough of us to say that enough is enough? I mean, what do we do to get to that place? And do you think the president can pull us out of this panic induced national coma? I, I think he can. And I think the way to do it um, is you have to have uh, you may call them pioneers. In this case, Florida is a pioneer, just like worldwide in the coronavirus um, battle. Sweden was a pioneer. Sweden said, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay open. Uh, we're going to be cautious, but we're not closing anything. Uh, cafes are open. Banks are open. Offices are open. And now let's see. The same thing is going on right now with Florida. Florida has no restrictions, no mask requirements. Uh, everything is open. And if Florida doesn't have a massive spike uh, that frightens the state into going into shutdown, then that's that shows the way for the, the DeSantis becomes a scout who is showing the way for the rest of us. So that's the way you do it. You're braver than the next guy. You go out front and you prove it can be done. Um, look, there's a um, the politics of fear works for the Democrats. FDR discovered that in the 30s against the backdrop of the Depression. Now, again, the Depression was real. The fear wasn't wasn't contrived. It was real. But the Democrats realized we can do things with this fear politically that we couldn't do otherwise. And so really, since I came to America in the 70s, it's been one fear mongering tactic after another. You know, the earth is running out of food, nuclear winter, the ozone layer is dissipating, climate change, now coronavirus. So in every case, a pretext for greater government control and greater centralized authority. Dinesh D'Souza, everybody, check out TrumpCardTheMovie.com. Coming out this Friday, you can watch it at home. And uh, Dinesh, we're looking forward to hopefully get you back here when uh, Trump... Oh, before we let you go, do you think, do you think Trump and Biden are going to debate again? Is that going to happen? Because Biden's looking like he might try to bail. You know, that's surprising because I thought that Trump in the debate, at times I thought he was too acerbic, he interrupted too much. I'm like, I wonder how he did. And then I saw the left, you know, shrieking and screaming, no more debates, no more debates. And that told me, well, you know, Trump probably did pretty well and probably scored some points on Biden. I mean, Biden was supposed to be the healer, but the best he could do to Trump is you're a clown, you're a racist, you're a liar. So this guy is uh, is is unhinged. Uh, and I think that the Democrats may be rethinking the second debate, although I, I expect it to happen. I hope it does happen. 
Uh, but who knows? Trump card, the everyone out this Friday. Dinesh, thanks again. Great to see you. Thank you. My pleasure. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, I'm a conservative. I don't often talk about how depraved the cultural institutions of this country have become. Not that I don't think they are. It's just I focus a lot more on politics, national security, fighting the deep state, immigration. There are just some other issues that tend to spend. I spend more time on, but not always. And and I got to tell you, this one was this one yesterday was pretty remarkable. This news story that just broke that uh, the former member of Congress, Katie Hill of California, is having a movie made about her now where I'm certain. I mean, they've got Elizabeth Moss playing her. Elizabeth Moss is a is, Moss is a very uh, beloved figure on the left because she's the primary actor in uh, that Handmaid's Tale show, which I have not seen, but I know what it's about. So and she's also in Mad Men. For those of you who like that, I kind of found Mad Men boring, but some people love it. And it, she's playing her. So, so, you know, you can always tell based on the actor playing a person and how they're going to be depicted, whether they're going to be it's going to be favorable. And it's based on the book that Katie Hill wrote here. Um, OK, what exactly is this movie going to show? Katie Hill has been held up by the left recently. This this resigned member of Congress from California as some kind of a victim. And it's really never clear to anybody who actually looks at what happened here. Why is she a victim? She was a, a married member of Congress who, by her own admission, was having threesomes that included people in her employ on her staff, which is a violation of House rules. You're not allowed to do that for very obvious reasons. And this is a good rule. You know, you don't want some 60 year old guy from Mississippi or California or you name it, who is having his 22 year old intern do his bidding, not just Xeroxing and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's a good rule. It's a good rule to have. And and it's just a, an ethics consideration for members of Congress. She violated that. We all know she violated that. And yet she's a hero. Because she spoke her truth or something. I mean, the left is deranged. And you really should juxtapose the way that they're going to ma- they are making a hero out of Katie Hill, who is really somebody who acted in just a reckless and depraved fashion. And, you know, she's now going to be a hero because of what exactly? Oh, they attacked her because she's a woman. and It was because of her sexuality and because it involved another woman. No, no one really cares. That wasn't really what it was all about. Remember Congress? This was a staffer. And she tweeted yesterday about how excited she was about this. And then it was very interesting because a former staffer who worked for Katie Hill, who still had access to her old Twitter account, came out and had a whole bunch of things to suggest uh, to to say about this. Because, you know, Katie Hill's like, oh, I'm so excited about the movie that's being made about my life. And, you know, she's going to get the Hollywood HBO treatment where she's just a, a fearless, tireless fighter for progressive causes who got caught up in you know, some nonsense. I mean, they'll make the worst people into, into heroes as long as it serves the political narrative. But this former staffer of Katie Hill's, this was really interesting, uh, took to her Twitter account. Now, again, this has not been very, but whoever it was had access to the official Twitter account, and it all seems to add up. 
Uh, Katie Hill, quote, was never investigated by the House Ethics Committee, nor has she been held accountable by anyone other than herself. We encourage everyone to reflect deeply before taking her word at face value. And then this political piece says at the time of resignation, Hill was under investigation by the House Ethics Panel for allegations of an improper sexual relationship with a male congressional staffer. She denied that accusation, but admitted to an inappropriate relationship with a female campaign staffer. Several nude photos of Hill were published by conservative media outlets amid the scandal, which she uh, blamed on an abusive husband she was divorcing at the time. In their messages Wednesday, the anonymous posters wrote that Hill, quote, took advantage of her subordinates and caused immense harm to the people who worked for her, many of whom were young women just beginning their careers in politics. Believe us when we say it's not only about who starts it, it's also about who ends it, the posters wrote. And while Katie is certainly the survivor of abuse, we are not confident that she sufficiently acted to end her own patterns of inappropriate and abusive behavior. Control of my account was handed back to the House clerk when I resigned. She wrote, God knows who hacked it from there. So she's saying that this is a hack. I think probably what happened, if I'm guessing here, is that she handed it her account back, even if she did. But they didn't change the password on the account because why would they? It's now an account that doesn't have any meaning and she's not a congresswoman anymore. And one of her old staffers had a hacking her account. Mm, I don't know. Sounds a little bit like when Joy Reid was claiming they hacked her blog from 10 years ago to write a bunch of homophobic stuff under her byline. Hmm, Weird, right? How that happens. Yeah. They're going to turn into a hero, though. And this is one of these areas where I, I know for a lot of us, we say, ah, but come on, how much does it really matter? What difference does it really make? So HBO is making another propaganda movie. They get to win in the culture. They get to keep winning in the culture, friends. And, you know, that might not change the minds of people who remember this news story now. But in five years, what are people going to remember? The HBO movie about Katie Hill. They did the same thing with Anita Hill where they made her into a hero. Now, she, you know, followed Clarence Thomas professionally around, wanted to work for him, and they act like she was some great hero because she says that he made a couple of inappropriate comments in the office. This was some great act of bravery. Uh, no. But they made a movie about her. Carrie Washington, a very, a very uh, appealing actress, played her in the movie. So that's the thing. Who, who do you want, you know, do you want them to take some guy... And, uh, you know, make him look as crazy and much of a, you know, they give like the Gary Busey treatment to your character. Be a Republican. If you want like a basically a, a model to play you and show what a hero you are for women's rights and progressive ideas and everything else, you know what side of the aisle you've got to be on. And this matters. Unfortunately, this this pushes people in directions politically, both in office and the voters. It's a shame. We got to start winning. We got to start fighting back at least. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine all the White House yeah. housekeepers. Imagine the butlers. Imagine all the staff that, that work to keep uh, the White House mm-hmm. running that he has now put in harm's way. Imagine just the everyday yeah. people that want to serve the country and serve mm-hmm. the first family. He has putting, he's putting them in, in, in harm's way. Two White House housekeepers have tested positive. Um, and I think it was Chelsea Clinton yeah. that, that tweeted out yesterday that she's so close to many of those people and she fears 
fears for their lives. I mean, what kind mm-hmm. of man, not just president, what kind of man would act in this way to 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 endanger the lives of people that are that are taking care of him and his family? It's despicable. Yeah. Despicable. I mean, The View is the dumbest show on television, I think. That's for sure. But I wanted to play that for you just so you could hear how how much rage there really is here, how how much they really despise Donald Trump on a personal level. They think that they believe this stuff. I know they say it and it's easy for us to say, come on, this is just hyperbolic rhetoric and this is just, you know, they're playing dirty politics here. They believe this stuff. They they really do. Uh, They think the president's a racist, a rapist, a murderer and a traitor. They believe all those things. Now, when I say they, not all of them, some of them are obviously being cynical about all of this. But some of them are, in fact, so stupid that they'll buy into this. They'll think that this is uh, uh, an accurate view of the leader of the free world. And you'll notice there's a huge difference between the way that conservatives uh, opposed the Obama administration, which was largely based on not entirely, but largely based on not agreeing with and and opposing Obama's policies, his decisions as president, and the deeply personal vitriol, the deeply personal hatred that they have for this president. And uh, and on the how stupid are they side of it, I mean, he's, Joy Behar, she's back. Play 12. Well, you know, I have to say, when I saw him running up those stairs, I thought this guy thinks he's Sylvester Stallone in Rocky. Da 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 da. The only thing is, Rocky w- was not loaded up with, let's see, remdesivir and dexamethasone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had just this one just mm-hmm. got out of a hospital with a million drugs in his system. And by the way, he was he was shaking a little bit, and 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 he couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. I I don't think he looked very good. He didn't. He didn't look good. I don't like the way he looked. He wasn't good. It wasn't good. I hate him. He's he's bad. Bad man. Orange man bad. It's all just orange man bad. Nothing else is allowed to really enter into the conversation. Nothing can change their minds. Everything Trump does is evil. I mean, if Trump did, in fact, personally cure cancer tomorrow, there would be Democrats with cancer had some good stuff that we need to talk about now. Look what Trump has done. He's so awful. I mean, they, they would find a way. They would find a way to take that position as, as insane as it clearly is. But this is what we are up against in this election cycle. And I think everybody needs to understand it. Although there was a moment of self-awareness from Don Lemon, Mr. Don Lemon over at CNN, who does occasionally uh, because he's sometimes too dumb to say things quietly. He says them loudly, things that Democrats aren't supposed to say. So he can be unintentionally insightful. But here he is. Play eight. Joe Biden is not Hillary Clinton. People, you know, this is this isn't me. I'm not saying that I don't like Hillary Clinton, but people she did not have a high favorability rating. Joe Biden's favorability ratings are higher. As you uh, so rightly pointed out now, now this this president is not just aspirational. He has a record, right, that he's run on and that he and most of the time continues to run into the ground. Um, and I think that you people talk about the silent majority. You said, you know, you don't see the lawn signs or whatever. I think that people feel that they don't have 
have to put up lawn signs and do all those things because the lawn sign is Trump out every day giving misinformation. And when someone, after someone annoys you for a while, you know, you have your detractors, Chris, many of them on on state television like I do. What's the best way to, to, to handle it? You just ignore it. Naked choke? No, just no. Just ignore Punch the sternum? That people, when you ignore people, that is the worst thing that you can do to anyone. So I think that people are sick of, uh, quite frankly, sick of us talking about Trump every single night, leading with him. Uh, you know, it's a bulk of our show. People are tired of it and they're tired of his antics. And I think there's a silent majority who are just going to say, you know what, I'm done. He's right about people are just tired of the way that CNN is the anti-Trump network every single night. That's it. Every night. They're talking about how terrible Trump is. Everything they're doing is geared toward that one outcome of not just defeating Trump in the election, but turning as many people as possible into orange man, bad Trump is evil and nothing else matters. There's no other discussion of politics or policy that we need to have, because as long as we all understand that Trump is literally the worst person in all of history, then that's that's all that they uh, will we'll get into. One thing tonight in the. Uh, One thing tonight in the debate that I'm sure will come up is about how the Democrats position themselves. Now, this is Biden saying it, but Kamala Harris will do this, too, as uh, the the side that opposes hate. This is this is another narrative that we need to pull apart, deconstruct a bit. The side that opposes hate. Here's Joe Biden saying just just that. Play seven. I made the decision to run for president after Charlottesville. Close your eyes and remember what you saw. Neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and the KKK coming out of the fields with torches lighted, veins bulging, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. It was hate on the march, in the open, in America. Hate never goes away. It only hides. And when it's given oxygen... When it's given an opportunity to spread, when it's treated as normal and acceptable behavior, we've opened a door in this country that we must move quickly to close. As president, that's just what I will do. I will send a clear, unequivocal message to the entire nation. There is no place for hate in America. I'll be given, it will be given no license. It will be given no oxygen. It will be given no safe harbor. Interesting. Do we think it's fair to say that there's a good chunk of the Democrat Party that hates law enforcement. I mean, a lot. I mean, a lot of Democrats, when you add it all together, really hate the cops. Is that hate or what do we call that? When you when you describe someone as a racist murderer worthy of violent assault because of their job, isn't it isn't it fair to say you hate them? Isn't it fair to say that Democrats are being trained by their media night after night? To hate Trump supporters, to hate them, not to disagree with them, not to try to win them over, just to just to view them with a viciousness and a disdain that Trump supporters are beneath contempt. Isn't that what we're seeing from want to talk about state media? I mean, the Democrat Party runs the media, 95 percent of it. So isn't that uh, isn't that hatred? I, I think it is. Why is it that when. Something happens that the left doesn't approve of. There will be innocent people who are attacked. There'll be bloodshed in the streets. There'll be stores that are broken into. And we all know that that's the expectation. But we just accept that. Is, is there is there hatred behind that? Oh, what about 
what we have seen um, where uh, Trump supporters have been attacked, have been you know violently assaulted for wearing MAGA hats. And is that that considered a hatred? I, I just want to know. And to say that a group of people, whether it's law enforcement or Trump supporters or all together, are uh, are evil and that they believe in something that's destroying the country. I think it's interesting. They, they really believe that the H word hate is something that only the left gets to throw around and that they're the great crusaders against it. When we all recognize that what they've been doing, what their Democrat shock troops have been up to all summer is deeply hateful. Hateful to small business owners, hateful to uh, Republicans and to police and to anyone who believes in law and order. Never forget that video. It was really insightful. Uh, And I know it was just one little moment in time, but that video where you had a bunch of kids playing beer pong and BLM supporter BLM rioters were walking past their window and they waved to them and they threw a rock through their window and the kids are all we're on your side. No, it's a hateful movement. Look at the spittle and the rage coming from the mouths of white female Biden voters in D.C. who get in the faces of law enforcement and call them traitors, race traitors even. That actually happened, too. I'm not forgetting that. That happened to the NYPD. Cops who were themselves minorities are called betrayers of their race by these protesters. Is that hateful? I think that's I think that's very hateful. I think that's very destructive. Um, But yet this term is thrown around as as though the Democrats are trying to promote a a country full of unity and love and decency and kindness. They're the ones that have been rampaging through the streets for months. And that's why that Michelle Obama uh, video that she put out there uh, here. Here's here's one piece of it. Play 20. The message we will send to our children about who we are and what we truly value. Think about what would possibly compel you to accept this level of chaos, violence and confusion under this president and be willing to watch our country continue to spiral out of control because we can no longer pretend that we don't know exactly who and what this president stands for. Search your hearts and your conscience. And then vote for Joe Biden like your lives depend on it. Like your lives depend on it, she says, because otherwise you're going to have all the hate and violence. Remember, she mentioned violence, destruction. And who's responsible for the violence and destruction that this country has been in the grip of for months now? The answer is Democrats, friends. The answer is the Joe Biden party. The answer is former Obama voters. That's who has been doing this. Why can't we just all be honest about at least that fact? Ah, because to vote for Biden is to embrace the big lies. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, you might have heard there is a debate tonight with the vice president of the United States and the would-be vice president, if she has her way, Kamala Harris. We are now joined by someone from the Trump campaign to tell us what they're expecting from their side. We've got Ali Pardo with us now. She's the deputy communications director for the Trump campaign. Ali, how you doing? Great. Thanks so much for having me out here in Salt Lake City. VP is ready to go. I think uh, we're going to see a clear contrast tonight, just like we did last week of 
the agenda that the president's put out, this America First agenda that's really been delivering for the American people, and, and what you're seeing from the left, which is a, a socialist agenda, take us backwards, a $4 trillion tax hike. You're talking about the most liberal senator in the country on the stage tonight. She is to the left of Bernie Sanders. I'm not saying that. The <laughs> studies say that. And so I think the, the decision and the contrast could not be clear. So what are some of these special debate protection measures we're seeing? Are they going to be separated by plexiglass at the debate? Uh, are they going to be in bubbles? Well, what, what has, is there still some <laughs> negotiation going on over this? Um, you know, it, it is an interesting process. Our, our debate negotiations are constantly ongoing, not only for this debate, but also for the following two debates. Um, there have been some interesting demands and requests from the Biden-Harris campaign um, this time around. Obviously, we do everything that's recommended to us, and we agree everything that's recommended to us by the by the health professionals. It seems to me, honestly, that they're just trying to virtue signal a little on the, on the Biden-Harris side. But obviously, that's we've come to expect that. Um, I think I hope that they um, have a really good opportunity to talk about this tonight, because the Biden Harris campaign um, wants to say one thing and then do another. When you've seen this vice president leading the task force of, of you know the greatest public um, private partnership in history, really delivering the best testing capabilities in the world, delivering you know, a vaccine and what's going to be a record time. Those are the things that people are going to be listening to tonight. And uh, I think the vice president's going to be able to do a very good job explaining that to the American people and contrasting that with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who say a lot and do very little. Now, what are some of the questions that, you know, that you expect the vice president to try? I know he's not the moderator, so technically he's not the one asking the questions, but if he's going to try to push to get an answer and there will be some free form exchanges between these two, uh, these two ideological combatants on that stage tonight, what, what is he going to push on? Supreme Court packing? I mean, what, what's at the top of the agenda for Pence to show in terms of the contrast between the two? Oh, well, I mean, I think that, that Supreme Court packing is definitely on the list. Why haven't we heard an answer? from Joe Biden or Kamala Harris on that issue. Why will they not say yes or no on a four court packing? And we know she is, but is he? And is there a ticket? So I think that that's an interesting question that's going to get asked. Additionally, you're talking about a $4 trillion tax increase. How is she going to pay for that? And, and, and why does she think the American people are willing to have that burden put on them um, especially when we're bouncing out of pandemic. It just makes no sense. Additionally, she is one of the first sponsors of the Green New Deal. Does she stand by that? Joe Biden tries to say he doesn't, but it's still on their website. I think these are really important questions for the American people to hear. There's people all across this country. I know you're in, in, in stations all across the country. You're talking to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Florida. When you ask these folks, about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wanting to ban fracking, you're talking about wiping out complete industries in those states. Wiping out not only industries, but industries that hold up their economy. So I think there's so much for us to, to hear tonight and to ask questions about. Unfortunately, she hasn't been known to answer any of these questions, but um, the vice president is tough and I, and I expect him to, to push and hope to get some of those answers questions answered there were questions and we are speaking to ali pardo who's the deputy communications director for the trump campaign ali there were questions uh look i had concerns about what happened in the last debate in terms of the moderator chris wallace uh what can you tell us about the campaign's feelings tonight well i mean susan page hasn't been our biggest fan 
but there's not a lot of people in the media that we uh, uh, that are or that uh, really give the president and the vice president um, the respect and then the, the attention that they deserve on the issues that they're pushing. But I think what I can tell you is this. The vice president's going to have his time, and he's going to make sure that our our record and our agenda and what we want to do moving forward is is talked about and displayed. We always expect it to be two to one, um, but uh, we still like our odds. And so I'm pretty confident. I know the vice president's going tonight, into tonight very confident. And, uh, and I'd say stand, uh, stand by and get ready to, for a good night. And just before we let you go, uh, what what is the, the, st- the standing right now of follow-up debates? Are they going to happen? Yeah, the, the president absolutely intends to debate, um, obviously following CDC guidelines and everything that's laid out. Right now, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to, based on, on the guidelines and, and our understanding of, of, of the process moving forward. So, you know, we hope he stays in good health, and he's a fighter, and, and I think he's proven that there's no one better to have fighting for you than him. And he is going to, to get out there and talk to the American people about how we can responsibly move forward. I think that's the biggest thing is it's time to responsibly reopen and move forward. You're going to hear that from the vice president tonight and also from the president and the debates to come. There's kids that need to get back to school. There is, you know, child abuse cases not getting reported. Families not being able to get fed because of the the jobs that are not reopening. So I think it's time for us to safely reopen, but also to reopen, right? It's two things. Do it safely, but also make sure we're actually doing it. So that's what the president's going to talk about, and, and we look forward to more of that. Ali Pardo, Deputy Communications Director for the Trump Campaign. Ali, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Um, yeah, that's that's the way to reach out to us. Or uh, Buck Sexton on Instagram. Send us the gram. That's what we got going on. Producer Mark, uh, you see the NBA's ratings are down 50% for the finals. I did, yeah. Do you think that's just because people... You know, without the without crowds and everything, it's not as exciting. You think it's a political backlash? I think 20 to 30 percent of it is just because the NFL is around. There's playoff baseball. There was hockey, you know, different time year, all that stuff. I think the rest very well could be political. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Because I saw that. I mean, that's I mean, if you have a let's say you were running a a broadcast news station or something and you had a 50 percent drop in ratings like everyone's getting fired. (laughs) That's a that's catastrophic. So 50% drop for the NBA Finals, I think, is... Uh, I think that happens to sports every year during an election year. I think that's the reason the NFL is down slightly is because people are watching the news and more into politics nowadays. You know, every four yeah, years. For the, next, yeah. for the next few weeks, you know. I hope, uh, I hope Mrs. Mark knows that, you know, you're going to be stretched to the limit, Producer Mark. Luckily, she's never here. Oh, well, there you go. That's, that's, that's easier to deal with. Uh, let's get to it. Um... Well, you know, I was playing. Uh, I played a little call. I played a little Call of Duty last. Oh no, it wasn't Call of Duty. It was a uh, FIFA, the soccer game on PS4. 
And someone actually took the time to write me very mean messages about how they had beaten me with a lot of curse words. And I just kind of was like, you know, producer Mark, why can't ever just be nice? <laughs> why are people such lunatics? I'm like, it's a sports video. That's what I was thinking about sports. The sports video game. Is you know? your name Buck Sexton? No, on there? they don't. No, 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 no. It's like you know, French bulldog. You know, fan yeah. twenty twenty five or something. Yeah, I, I no never understood why talking trash in video games. People you don't know, like if you're playing friendly with a friend and you want to, you know, razz them you a know, little of bit. Of course, fine, but like but, talking yeah. trash to strangers over video. No, games, that's just people, silly. People are insane. <laughs> They're insane. Uh, this is what happens in lockdown. I mean, I, I tried to resist it as long as I could, but the PS4 has made a comeback a little bit during lockdown after 10 years of not touching video games. Um, all right, here we go. Jim writes, Hey, Buck and Mark, I'm a medical laboratory scientist and work in a hospital. One thing that often gets left out of the discussion on the ACA is how people with employer-sponsored health care have been screwed. Before the ACA, I could afford health care easily. Not any longer. Between the deductible and copays, I have to spend over $8,000 out of my pocket before I am fully covered. That's not to include the almost $400 a month I have to pay as a premium, and my hospital system owns the insurance company. Shields high, fellow patriots. No, Jim, this is very important what you're saying, and I wish the, uh, I wish the Trump administration had more powerful messaging on this point. I know they say Obamacare is bad, but people need to know why it's bad. It's expensive, crappy insurance. That's what it really gives people. Or it's Medicaid, which, you know, is better than nothing, people think, but not much better than nothing. Medicaid, uh, if you have a real problem, you end up having a very limited network, long, you know, long waits, uh, a lot of specialists. You know, if you get cancer or something, a lot of hospitals aren't going to take it. It's really it's just not good. But all along, Obamacare was sold to us under false pretenses that they were going to cover more people for less money and get better care. That's just not true. And it's really not possible for the government to just mandate that. The only way that you can have that is by inducing shortages, which will lead to rationing. Right. The shortages. We don't have enough stuff to give everybody what they want. The rationing is okay because we don't have enough stuff. This is what you get. We tell you what you get. This is basic economics, but Democrats think that they can suspend the laws of, of basic economics whenever they want to. All right, here we go. Michelle writes, don't know if you mentioned already, but Turn is a great series about civilian spies for George Washington on Long Island during the Revolutionary War. Designated Survivor was good, too. I think I watched a couple of episodes of Turn and I liked it years ago, but I didn't dig in and watch the whole thing. And uh, Designated Survivor, that one is, uh, I think I saw the first two episodes of that as well. It's got a little liberal for me, I think, if I remember. You ever seen that one, Producer Mark? I like that one, actually. Hmm. It was uh, Kiefer Sutherland, which, I mean, him as Jack Bauer is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 24 people loved, so. Interesting. You never watched 24? No, nah, I was uh, working in the CIA when 24 was going on. Oh, so that's I was true. Like, oh, it's a little like too close office. to home for you then. Yeah, totally. But also the problem is when you work in that, it's very hard. I can do it now, but it's it's very hard um, to watch that stuff and not say, oh, my God, that's so fake. or Oh, that would never happen or whatever. You know, it's tough 
to watch these things and and not when when you work in counterterrorism at the CIA and then you're watching a show about CIA counterterrorism, you're like, that's ridiculous. You know, that it's tough not to do that. I'm just saying. Yeah, that, that's probably why they used a fake entity like they called it the CTU, which is not obviously real. Yeah, well, I was working in CTC, which is yes. the counterterrorism center when they, when everyone's watching CTU and keep yourself. All I can tell you is the shows are much more interesting than real life. That's for sure. But that's not a surprise to anybody. Uh, yeah. So let's get to it now. Um, Desi and Survivor. I'll check that one out again at some point. But I got a pretty long list right now of uh, of shows that I'm, I'm I'm actually pretty well stocked. And the Snow Princess wanted me to insist that everybody knows that the only reason she had a problem with Poldark was that she didn't like that there were some socialist undertones for the lead character in the few episodes we watched, which is fair, which is fair. So she's keeping it real. Um, let's uh, next up here. Uh, we have Ryan Buck. Love the show. Been a regular listener and a fan for a long time. Thank you so much for speaking truth about one of the reasons we're hit so hard by COVID. We as a country aren't very healthy, and I hope this message hits home so we can be better prepared for this kind of thing the next time we are faced with a pandemic. Making better health and wellness choices through our lives is the best vaccine we can hope for, and that doesn't mean closing gyms and small food shops down. But I worry we as a country won't face hard realities or make tough decisions anymore. That will really keep us great. Let us both hope I'm wrong. Shields high. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your support of the show and for listening and uh, means a lot to to me and Mark and the whole team here in the hut. As for uh, yeah, we're, we we are a country that need to have more of a focus on health. In fact, I'll just tell you, I I have this. I mean, maybe it's a dream, or I don't know if it's uh, a vision for the future of the country. But now that everyone's realizing that you can be, you can work from. A, no, I shouldn't say everyone, but now that there's an understanding in corporate America, at least. That work from home is a much more viable solution and a much better day to day. And the productivity is for many people up. Uh, I mean, I'm doing more content now on a day to day basis than I've ever done before. And it's only possible and it's already stretching me to the limit, but it's only possible because I can do it all without having to commute. Uh, not not burn an hour and a half, two hours a day in transit. I mean, that's that's crappy to have to deal with that every day. That burns a lot of your time. I'm hoping that there's also going to be a greater emphasis on work, you know, that people have greater work life balance and that now everyone realized that this whole eight hour workday thing, you know, the eight hour workday for most people, unless you're at a service job and it's hourly. But for a lot of people that work in more office culture, you know, it's a little bit like the movie Office Space where you know he says that any given week I do about 30 minutes of actual real work. It's more than that. But I, I think that most people probably spend four hours of their eight every day doing stuff they have to do and then four hours in either unnecessary meetings traveling to meetings traveling to uh you know whatever it is that they've got to do in the in the course of the day um just unnecessary nonsense wasting time going online doing things so now it's really all okay you have it you have tasks you have expectations for your role maybe now when it's just based on your output and not based on your time in on an issue, you'll be able to get more done in less time if effectively, which I also hope is the case with the more and more people homeschooling. You know, I think if you have individualized instruction uh, and I look, I know it's there's challenges to homeschooling, too, for people. And, you know, a lot of a lot of two parent or income households out there. But uh, if you can get somebody who has one on one instruction for four or five hours a day, 
then are they able to just do whatever they want, play sports, go do other activities with kids in the in the area, the neighborhood for the rest of the day? I mean, I remember the school day when I was I, mean, I remember it when I was in high school. I think we started at 830 a.m. and I mean, start 830 a.m. and finished at. Like 3.30 or 4 p.m. in the afternoon, it's a long day for a lot of like and then they jam things in there that really didn't need to be in there. I think it could be shorter and more efficient. That's all I'm saying. And I think shorter, more efficient, and therefore more freedom is a possibility for for all of us in different ways uh, in our in our jobs and in our roles. So that would be that would be great. There are some jobs that still require physical presence. Obviously, manufacturing and people who are you know work with their hands and people. Who, there's there's still still stuff where you can't just phone it in from the couch. But for a lot of uh, service jobs that are internet based and you know, you're able to do this stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that that means there'll be more opportunity for people to also be healthier. Health is important. Health needs to be a focus. And everyone, and this is another thing, everyone is in charge of their own health. No one's going to make you healthy. No one's going to make you take the time to learn. And everyone has different stuff. You know, I have different medical conditions that I have to manage and deal with, and it's all on me. I, I can go to a lot of doctors and get advice and stuff, but at the end of the day, what do I do with the information I have? How do I actually live my life? What do I prioritize? You know, as I've gotten a little bit older now, deep into my 30s, I know, it's crazy. These bones are getting creaky. Uh, you think, getting enough sleep. Things that my parents told me when I was a little kid that I was like, that's dumb. Nope, they were right. They were right. Uh, getting enough sleep. Limiting your alcohol intake. I know people don't like to hear that, but I'm not anti-booze, but, you know, you got to think of, Think of booze like chocolate cake and it all makes more sense, right? You have a piece, maybe maybe two if you're really partying, but you know you don't eat the whole cake. And uh, when I was in college, we were eating whole cakes every night. I mean, it was crazy. So that's that, the impact that has on your health. I mean, you know, look, you, you know all this stuff. But as you get older, you just realize because you also see the results of it more. You know, you see the results. Do you wear sunscreen? Do you drink too much? Do you have reasonable eating habits? You know, look, I'm a guy who likes brie and chocolate chip cookies. So, you know, I got to spend some time in the gym and I got to kind of limit that stuff because otherwise, you know, you end up looking like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. So we've all got our challenges with this stuff. But whether it's avoiding a pandemic disease or it's just keeping yourself day to day functioning at your optimum level of of personal health efficiency, which really does also translate into a degree of happiness. It's it's on individuals and there's more self-education you can do on this stuff than ever before and i think this should be a much bigger part of what kids are you know learn about and is really part of a a wholesome life in existence in school i think kids i think people need to learn about health in school they need to learn about personal finance in school and it should be a you know it's a curriculum thing you know we get everyone's oh i'm i i took latin for like four years or something in grammar school look that's fine i mean i you know it's helpful in some ways i guess but I, I would have really liked to understand at an early age things like compound interest and, you know, uh, high high dividend stock investing. And these are things that, you know, the, the, the younger you are and the more proactive and strategic you are, you don't need a lot of money to set up a comfortable retirement. If you start young, have discipline, understand what you're doing. You don't need a lot of money to do it at all. I'm pretty sure with compound interest at an eight percent a year annualized return if you starting at age 18, I think if you amass close to thirty thousand dollars now, that, I'm not saying that's not a lot, but that's, you know, that's pre-tax. Um, you put that in by the time you're 
I think it was 28. So if you have 10 years, $28,000, and you let it sit. There's a famous uh, Tony Robbins clip where he talks about this. And you let it sit at 8% and then compound interest, uh, you will end up with $1.8 million to retire on by the time you're 65. You know, I wish I had known more about that kind of stuff. So I'm just saying there's a lot of things out there. I know I got a little bit uh, down the rabbit hole on this one. Let's get back into more roll call. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, back into the roll call here. Eric writes, with the shows of support outside Walter Reed and the Trump Tower, I don't see the equivalent of support for Biden. I live north of Dallas in a neighborhood filled with Beto supporters, and the enthusiasm that they had for Beto doesn't exist for Biden. I don't see the Dems turning Texas blue and the Electoral College votes going for Biden. Well, Eric, I can tell you that breathy Beto is like totally disagreeing with you and producer mark can you play it we've got a beto clip he's like we're gonna flip texas blue it's gonna happen play it from producer there's mark. typically Why? an outperformance of the polls by democrats of three to four points so i would say those races are much much closer mj hagar can beat john mm. cornyn and joe biden can can win this state in fact on the eve of early voting on on the 12th of october we're going to have a million voter I don't think so. bank. Our volunteers are going to call a million voters to get them to commit to voting on the first day of early voting. Uh, the Texas Democratic Party, the candidates, everyone's doing their part. I think we can do this, Joy. And I think I think we can end this on the third. You know, Pennsylvania will take days or maybe even weeks to count those mm-hmm. ballots. Texas will know on the third. And if we win Texas, it, it is over. Mathematically, it is over. Psychologically, we can turn the page on Trump and Trumpism and begin the next chapter for this country. Let's turn the page on Trump. No, it's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. He's not going to flip Texas red. That's that's nonsense. Um, so don't worry about that. And Eric, yeah, as for anecdotal stuff, Dallas, Beto supporters, Biden. I, I want to agree with you that Biden has no has no shot, but he does. You know, the Democrats have built in built in votership. That's pretty substantial. So we got to see. Bruce, hey, Buck, love the Freedom Hunt. Listen to the podcast daily. Keep fighting on to dispel the myriad of liberal lies and hypocrisy and keep that 20-something-year-old curmudgeon producer Mark in line. Just joking, Mark. Shields high, Buckster. Uh, yeah, there we go. Producer Mark, you're supposed to be kept in line. Mr. Sexton, you're not you allowed to kept- write in like that. Yeah, I was going to say. Are you feel kept in line, producer Mark? Because Bruce wants to know. I'm definitely not kept in All line. All right, everybody, we're... Yeah, no. Mark, Mark gets to run wild in the Freedom Hut because otherwise I won't know what time to show up or do anything. So he's he's got he's got the keys. He's got to let me into the hut and then I get to make all the noise on the radio mic. That's the show for today, folks. Great to have you here as always. We'll talk more tomorrow. Let's dig in for this election. We're in this fight till the end. Shields high.